0: For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of worth. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper.
1: Happy Saturday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating tonight? I am celebrating one of my favorite people on the planet. She also happens to be one of the funniest people I know, and that is Carol Cook. I am so thrilled that she is waiting in the wings, waiting to come on, and once she takes over, it's the Carol Cook Show tonight. I have been a fan of Carol for as long as I can remember. And I remember in 1998, a friend of mine uh, was the stage manager for a tour of Arsenic and Old Lace uh, that Carol Cook was doing with Marion Ross. And they were touring the country and he knew that I was such a huge fan of Carol Cook. And one night he called me up and he put Carol on the phone and she said, one of these days, Richard Skipper, I'm gonna come to New York City and you and I are gonna go to Joe Allen's and we are gonna have the biggest, juiciest cheeseburger that you can possibly ever imagine. Little did I know that years later, we would become very good friends. And a few years ago, I, along with Russ Woolley, had the good pleasure of producing her at Feinstein's, well, it's now 54 Below, but then it was Feinstein's 54 Below. When I called Russ and said that I wanted to bring Carol Cook uh, to Feinstein's or 54 Below, uh, he was ecstatic. We jumped at it. We called 54 Below, and they went into it with a little trepidation because it had been quite a few years since Carol had last appeared in New York. Her last appearance in New York uh, was when she was last on Broadway in 42nd Street. So they were cautious about booking two nights, uh, as much as I begged and pleaded. I said, you have nothing to worry about. It's Carol Cook. She's going to fill the place. Well, they said, well, let's try the one night and see what happens. We booked the show, and within 72 hours, she was almost sold out. So I got a phone call from Jennifer Tepper at uh, 54 Below and she said, what are you doing that's any different from anyone else that we're booking there? I said, it's Carol Cook. That's all you need to know. And of course, Carol Cook came in. She sold out for two nights, and I'm sure that if we had done the entire week, she would have sold out to standing room only. You're going to see why in just a few moments. But before I bring her on, I'd like to start with Carol Cook. Here she is, doing what she does best. Carol Cook, I love you.
2: I've sung the blues Seen all my dreams disappear But I'm here I've slept in shanties Guest of the WPA but I'm here, danced in my scanties, three bucks a night was the pay, but I'm here. I've stood on red lines with the rest, watched while of the headlines, didn't rest. In the depression was I depressed, nowhere near. I met a big financier and I'm here. I've been through Reno, I've been through Beverly Hills and I'm here. Reefers and Vino rescued religion and pills. Been called a Pico coming too, gone through its stinco by my poo. I should have gone to an acting school. That seems clear. (laughs) Still, someone said she's sincere. So I'm here. to have a recording of the applause.
1: And she is here. I am so thrilled. Carol, you are here tonight.
2: I am, my darling, I'm here. Now, the next time I do this show, and there will be a next time, I would like to point out to you that I would like a set designer, a costumer, uh, possibly, I think maybe a little work done would be a big hit.
1: Well, I will say, Carol, you don't need any of those things because when you hit the stage, you are all of those things rolled into one.
2: It's what it is, darling. Everybody gets there if they're lucky. And And um, you
1: have been lucky. Uh, We're going to cover so many areas. First of all, how are you and Tom doing? This has been a crazy time with COVID and monkeypox and... Everything else rolled into one, but you, as the song goes, are still here. How I yes. mean, how are you managing? And you just recently—you've got this beautiful new apartment that you just moved into.
2: Yes, we moved in uh, with my nephew or our nephew. He married me, so he gets he gets smart too with yes. Mark Coganauer, who's here helping with John and my darling husband Tom. I have a whole a set of friends here. There are three of them. Patty, Maxine, and Turk. And uh, <laughs> I don't know which one is Turk, but what the hell. But they've helped me get it all together. And here I am. So and that's- here you are.
1: Uh, Carol, I asked for a photograph of you uh, at five years old. because, And the reason I asked for this photograph, and I do this with all of my guests, okay. uh, because I like to go back to the five-year-old self, to that little child dreaming of show business. Uh, and here you are. Uh, and I love this photograph. Uh, this is little Mildred in Abilene, Texas. Uh, yes. You know, and when, you know, and... Uh, this is Easter. I'm going to assume it's Easter. Uh,
2: you're wrong. You're wrong. I was a flower girl at a wedding. For oh, so it, you're a flower girl at a wedding. Yeah, that um, little basket had petals in it, and I dropped them out on the way down the aisle.
1: But it's such an adorable picture, and uh, so it proves to anyone who has questioned over the years, you are a natural redhead.
2: Uh, That'll show it there. Now it did fade a little bit through the years. Oh my God, I can't believe that she's there. But wasn't that darling?
1: That's a darling picture. So as you were growing up in Abilene, Texas, what are your earliest memories of what the theater or show business was all about?
2: You know, Richard, I cannot remember a time that I did not want to be an actress. And that's the truth. Now, I lived in Abilene, Texas, where there was nothing but mesquite trees. But uh, my mother would, uh, who was not an idea of show business at all, but she would take us to Dallas, she and my daddy, take us to Dallas to see people like Ethel Merman, uh, Cornell, Catherine Cornell, Mary Martin, all of the greats that Fontaine, Lynn Fontaine and uh, Alfred Lunt. I'm getting a little mixed up. Alfred Lunt, Lynn Fontaine. say it the way they say it on a billboard. Mm-hmm. Alfred Lunt, Lynn Fontaine. And I thought, I'd never seen anything like that. And I thought, one day, I want to be a part of that. It was magic. I remember one morning, they woke us up about four in the morning. He said, we're driving to Dallas, Texas. Now, that was 200 miles away, Uh, so it was a big occasion. They said, we're going to the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Well, I'd never seen anything like that in my life. Plumes, sequins, eyelashes, and I thought, that's for me. That's for me. Now, sometimes I got those parts, and sometimes I didn't get so many sequins. But that was the beginning, and... It was, it was a fairy tale beginning. My imagination, I read, I read all the time, Victor Hugo and uh, Charles Dickens. You know, it was a whole world that I had never seen. And it was fabulous, fabulous.
1: So as you were dreaming of being in this world of show business, were you getting the encouragement of your friends and family around you?
2: Well, yes, my family, their only stipulation. I grew up in the era when education was, you know, very, very important. So they said, Mildred Francis, you just do anything you want to do, but you've got to go to the university. And after university, you're on your own. And I took them at their word, and uh, that's what I did. I finished uh, the university and then went to New York. But my mother and daddy were both very supportive if that's what I wanted to do. But they said, if that's what you want to do, be the best one you can be. And
1: you certainly have. And along the way, every actor or actress, no one does this alone in this business. And you have been so fortunate to work with some of the greatest people in the business. And they have been fortunate to work with you. So I'd like to talk, and of course, everyone knows it's legendary, and you just did a brilliant interview where you talked about your association with Lucille Ball. She was a great mentor. She was a great mentor to you. Uh, They can go and look at that interview because we don't need to go into all the things that you've talked about before. But in addition to Lucille Ball, who were some of the great mentors along the way, the great directors, great actors and actresses that you've worked with, who you feel have really shaped who you are today, both as a person and as an actress?
2: Well, I really, Richard, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? No, no, you, I was finished. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> but I'm 98, you have to go with that. Um, my To be truthful, my mother was my first teacher, and she would give little recitals with all the neighborhood children. And I always got the shitty parts because I was the teacher's daughter. And I remember that I was like Huckleberry Finn. I was always the boy. They, and I filled out early, and they used to bind me close up here so that the tits wouldn't show. And I played all the boys' parts. And I remember very well, Richard, that one time they put all of our names in a fish bowl, and you drew the part you were gonna play. Well, I got the part of the pretty girl, the ingenue. Well, I loved putting on the high heels. I loved the capes, I loved the ruffles. And I came out on stage and thought how fabulous Not a laugh in the house. And I knew at that time, I've got to play the wicked witch. I didn't want to play the pretty one anymore. Somebody else had the lines that got the laughs. And I remember that. And I remember my aunt said, well, you know, Mildred Francis, I've heard that you have to sleep around when you go to New York to get anywhere. Well, I took her word for that, and I I <laughs> slept around. I was the most rested girl in, in New York. I really slept. I thought that meant that, so I did that. <laughs> you see where it got me. Anyway, <laughs> after that, it was Paul Baker, who was a big influence in my life. He was the drama coach at Baylor University. I graduated from Baylor. And um, then he went on to do the Frank Lloyd Wright Theater in Dallas. And I did a great many shows, you know, Private Lives. I did, you know, tons of shows for him. And that was wonderful. Then I went to New York. And that's where I got to meet all the fabulous, I guess, my two, we can't ignore the fact, the two greatest show business people that I knew were Lucio Ball and Ethel Merman. I mean, you don't get better than that. No, that's absolutely true. And they were both, and you know what it was, Richard? I wanted to know them, because I, not because of their fame and all, it was was who they were. It was that, you know, talent is seductive. And I don't mean, I'm not speaking the sexual sense, I mean, it's seductive. Don't you want to know people that are talented? Isn't it fun to finally meet an Ethel Merman or Lucille Ball? Isn't it marvelous? Carol, that is why I wanted to meet you. <laughs> oh, well, we've done that, kid. I mean, <laughs> you brought me to New York, and I will never get... That is one of the that's one of the most fun I ever had in my life, was uh, working for you and being well, able to... Russ
1: Woolley, who uh, he is up at his cabin and he has bad reception tonight, but he is watching. And he said to tell you that that moment, we all love this business so much. When you get this feeling in your heart of doing something great and the fact that we brought you back to New York is one thing that Russ and I, for the rest of our lives, we will be proud of that moment. So, Russ, uh, we are so
2: proud that we did that. Thank you. But it was um, uh, Tom, of course, was with me, and that, that was a big factor. We're there. By the way, I wanted to say a while ago you said almost sold out. We were sold out you were,
1: no no what I said was that you were you were completely sold out. what I was meant to say if it came out wrong was that we could have sold out for a week if we had gone on.
2: Maybe a year, Richard. A year. (laughs) That's the problem right there. Think big, darling. We were turning people away.
1: It was amazing. I want to talk about one thing, and then I've got a a couple of surprises for you. Um, uh, you. A lot of people don't, uh, some people know this, uh, some people may not. You were the second actress to play Dolly Levi in Hello, Dolly!, uh, you, you took it uh, to Australia, New Zealand, and uh, around the world, essentially. Um, can you tell us about getting that phone call? And this really changed your life because you took it down under, as they say.
2: Watch your mouth, mister. <laughs> well. Down under. Okay. Um Mike Stewart, who wrote the book to Hello Dolly, uh, I had worked for him before, and he called one day and said, uh, "Carol, they want to see you to for replace uh, to go to uh, to go to Australia to do Hello Dolly." And I thought it was a joke. Nevertheless, I got myself ready, went, and I auditioned that afternoon. And then saw the show that night. And I'd done the matchmaker, which Thornton Wilder's matchmaker, which Dolly was taken from. And uh, so I thought, I thought, I know that lady. I know her. And I went to see Carol Channing that night. She was fabulous. Fabulous. It was breathtaking, her performance. And I thought, oh, my God. You always then ask yourself, "Could I have done that? Could could I have done that?" Uh, so I saw her, and I thought, "They'll you know they'll get a big star to do it and whatever." So I went back home, and I was playing a part on the Lucy Show, and they said, "Carol," and they said, "Mildred, you're wanted on the telephone." Well, by that time, my name was Carol. Lucy had changed my name from Mildred to Carol. And uh, they said, Carol, you're on the phone. I'm not kidding. I walked behind the grandstand. There was a telephone there for the workmen to use. I picked up the telephone, and a, two voices said, well, hello, Dolly. Well, hello, Dolly. It's so nice to be back home where I belong. And I went, oh, my tears started streaming down. It was Gower champion and Michael Stewart. And they called me, and that's how I was told that I got Dolly.
1: That's amazing. uh,
2: Played it for a year and a half, year uh, more than that. And I went to Australia and to New Zealand. And uh, it was it was certainly professionally one of the greatest times I ever had. It was was, it's it's a wonderful you know what, Richard, I've been very lucky. I have played well, a lot of a lot of women that were wonderful, a lot of women that weren't wonderful. But two of the most fabulous parts that I've had the honor to play were women, Dolly and Mame, and you know why it's fun to play them everybody wishes they had a Mame or a dolly in their lives everybody wants an aunt to be auntie Mame, or or hello or dolly and it's wonderful to play parts that audiences go for they just go out and go oh i just love her so you know they were and i think i played Anti-Mame and Mame, and they're both absolutely fabulous to play. Wonderful.
1: Uh, When you came to New York, I mean, obviously you have had a long uh, relationship with David Galligan, uh, who was your director when we uh, brought you to 54 Below. Uh, What makes David Galligan a great director? And what is it that the two of you
2: uh, bring to the table together? Working with David is not competitive. He wants the best for you. And he wants the best for him. He wants you to look good. Then if you look good, he looks good. And he will... Go to the mat with you about certain things. But if you hold tight, he'll say, Well, show me. If it doesn't work, it will go out and we take it out. But I think that's it. It's a it's kind of like a marriage. It's a comp- compromise is a good word. It's not a bad word. That's how we that's how we last a long time in careers, in marriages, friendships anything it's compromise you don't have to win all the time you just have to be good and if you can there are a lot of talented people in this world a lot of talented people and what we're trying to do is to become artists great artists you want to be olivier once said if you can if you're doing a comedy And you can think of 10 funny things to do in a scene. Only do five of them and be very careful about the five you choose. And if you're a genius, you will only do three of them. You will not have to work as hard and you will get the same reaction from the audience. That's amazing. I I thought when I did Dolly, I noticed in a long run like that, a year and a half, two years, you know what? When you're doing a long run like that, you begin to uh, space yourself, and instead of in a long run, it's better if you don't add and do more and more and more. You find that you actually do less. By that, I don't mean you're cheating the arms. I mean your selections are better, more pointed you're smarter and you're a better, better talent. You're becoming an artist in selection and timing, selection and timing. Great advice. advice. Uh,
1: When was the last time that you saw David Gallagher?
2: When did I last see David? Can somebody help me on that? Uh, Well, I've got three people who have suddenly gone deaf and blind. 22, 22. Uh, I can't think. It's about a year ago. Before the pandemic. Oh, no, uh, no, no. I have not seen uh, seen since the pandemic. Hi, David. Hi, David. Is David there? <laughs>
1: David is here.
2: <laughs> David. David, you're
1: muted, so make oh sure you God, unmute God. yourself. I
2: finished talking about you. I've got a lot more to <laughs> uh, say. David,
1: make sure you unmute yourself. Uh, you're muted, David. Uh, David,
2: I've you're always muted. Wanted to, you're muted, David. I don't know whether you can do anything.
1: Uh, no, he he has to do that himself. Uh, okay. he, he's muted. Well, I'm
2: kind of enjoying this. <laughs> uh, David, okay.
1: you. Uh, Dave, no, you're muted, David. So. So hopefully okay. he's going to unmute
2: himself because. You asked David to do something technical, good luck. <laughs> no, but he got here. You know, we did a
1: test this afternoon. So, uh, David, you may want to leave and come back. Uh, that may help you. The uh, mic. Oh, there is, he is. Am I now, there? You're there.
3: Yeah, I've got a couple of stories about her, too. So
1: make sure you speak closer to the
3: mic so we can hear you. Yeah,
2: we, we have to oh, hear God, you. I'm
3: getting close. Okay. Good.
1: Oh, we lost him.
2: Oh, now, that,
1: now, that. no. Uh, William Graf says that my, uh, he uh, does. David do mime. So, but while we're waiting for him to come back, I want you know you did have a major success on Broadway uh, in Forty uh, Second Street, which I saw you in, uh, right. and uh, you also worked, uh, you know, with an amazing cast. Uh, who I mean, who were some of the other people in the cast that? Uh, you just had this great uh, relationship with. I know that you worked with Leroy Reams. But oh, I... that was
2: my great relationship. But he I understand ready. that
1: Leroy got, uh, was it you or Leroy who got the part because you both could wear the same shoes?
2: <laughs> both. That's how we both got the part. They'd Save On Shoes. I'm not kidding you. When, uh, oh my God. I, uh, oh my God. Day, um, uh, Leroy and I, uh, my they would do my shoes and they would dye them and they would be too tight, so Leroy would put on his speedo, and <laughs> oh, uh, up! I cannot say this with you sit, sitting there, but yes, you he, can. <laughs> but he would put on speedo, which is not that attractive. <laughs> no. no. And I've seen him at his best and worst. There's not a lot of difference. But <laughs> I swear, he would put on my shoes and sing us, I believe, an aria from Samson and Delilah. You know, Samson, and walk around. And he's in the spiky. I'm in these seemingly butch shoes, his shoes. And unfortunately, embarrassing, it fit me and mine fit him. And now where'd he go? No, oh, he's not oh,
1: there you are.
2: I brought <laughs> well, David
1: back on oh, camera. So, so hopefully, David, you me. you but you need to unmute yourself, David.
2: Well, Carol, you look absolutely fabulous. Doesn't
0: she look incredible? <laughs> you look fabulous.
2: You've got to be well, you know. What can I tell you?
0: And honey, I mean, who did you ha- who did you have to I, fuck to get all that furniture and everything? Everybody.
2: <laughs> everybody. And I just loved it.
0: It's a beautiful setting, and I'm going to. David, see you're you. muted. I'm going to well, see you in November.
2: This is our home.
0: Yeah, but I'm going to see you in November, the middle of November. Yeah. Leroy, oh. I want
1: to jump on that bandwagon. I want to come out with you to see Carol and Tom. Yeah. I'm going
0: to come come out about the middle of uh, of November. I thought you, you were on
2: me? a. I thought you were on a cruise,
0: I I just got off it. I well, want my green shirt for you.
2: The store. <laughs> And oh
0: darling, if you want me to do my Irish accent for you now, I've got to do
2: I never liked you. I've always loved your work. But frankly, you suck.
0: <laughs> very well, darling. Look how so, it got me.
2: <laughs> David, you're muted again. We got uh,
1: Now, David, you, you have a story that you want to tell. Good. David, Can you hear me
3: now? Can you hear
2: me yes, now? Yes, yes. Don't okay. leave. What?
3: Okay, so Carol is doing it. An early morning interview, which is something she doesn't get up early uh, for one of the stage events that we did we did together, and I can't remember the name of the host, but she's yakety yak in a way, and he's he at that time I think she'd been married she and Tom had been married fifty years, and he said he said oh fifty years Carol that's so wonderful what do you owe the longevity of your marriage to, and Carol didn't miss a beat she said. Because Tom is one of the better fucks in the business.
2: I can't believe you told that. And, I, that poor,
3: the poor, people on the four hundred five. They still have skid marks on that poor freeway because, with the uh, with the cable, you can't. It, they can say fuck. Well, I just. Did. Well,
1: you said it tonight on this show too.
2: <laughs> oh my god, Thank you, David. I will never work again, but that's all right. You know, and David, David, I, I swear, look at, look at who's here. I cannot be, Leroy Green, let me tell you, when we were doing 42nd Street together, every time something went wrong on the stage, what is
1: that noise? Uh, D- David's typing. I'm not, I'm not
2: doing anything. David oh, you're
1: not
3: typing? Is,
2: is someone it's typing? Something? David, it's something you ate. I know that. (laughs) Something that didn't need. Okay. Let's pick the level of the show. Now, Leroy Reams, my best buddy in the whole world. Uh, Every time something would happen in 42nd Street, like the computer went down, the curtain didn't go up or something. He'd run out on stage and go, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to save the show by singing, I only have eyes for you. Now, nobody (laughs) gave a shit about that. But he's insisted. Well, one night, I came down the staircase and said, come on along and listen to The Lullaby of Broadway. And I'm singing, and my heel caught in the hem of my dress, and I went ass over Pea kettle and hit a bar. Down. Not this kind of bar. We're talking about an iron bar. And it knocked me out. Well, I came to, and I thought the show would stop. The, uh, Stage manager was on stage, orchestra stuff Saturday night, packed house. And so I got up, like, Where am I? Where am I? And I turned around and I said, Let's go back up the stairs and start again. And the stage manager said to me, Are you going to sing, Miss Cook? I said, You bet your sweet ass I'm gonna sing. Well, it was Saturday night. I knew my so after the show that night. Levo, it comes into my bedroom, he said, Carol, we were just thrilled to death, you got right up, and you put on your musical comedy hat, and you were on, it was fabulous. How could you do that? I said anything to stop you from singing. I only have eyes for you. <laughs> the whole the whole cast applauded me.
0: Oh my so, God. I don't want to be
2: ugly, but that was true. I got
0: I've gotta give you my favorite Carol Cook story. It has to do with Merv Griffin. But she was on Merv Griffin and she came out in one of her gowns. And Merv said, Carol. What is that? She said, be careful, Merv, you're on very thin ice." He said, what do you call these things you wear? Drapery dresses? What are they? Like, what's going on underneath all of that? And Carol looked him dead in the eye and said, an old friend doing me a favor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and Carol, oh, how did nurse you... Nurse. Nurse. <laughs> nurse. And David, didn't we have a swell time? What's our joy to work with on my one woman show
3: Absolutely
1: absolutely.
2: You're in the will. Now oh, I want
1: to be very careful with this story because I don't want to get in trouble here okay but a few a couple of years ago I get a phone call from the New York Times. This was after Carol had appeared at, uh, at 54 below and they wanted to know if I had a statement about Carol and my first thought was oh my god has she passed away or something that freaked me out and i said well what do you what do you mean and they said her statement about the president and i said what are you talking about everybody you you'll have to google it and look it up because i do not want to get in trouble here on the show but carol had made a statement about the former president and uh, it it went, it went around the world. And uh, Carol was so proud of this statement that she made. Oh, I
2: uh, Richard, yeah. my obituary won't be that good. <laughs> <laughs> we star. No, I didn't say that. But I mean, you, I mean, you said... A tax president. And in Australia, it said, our own darling, attacked president. And then at the next line said, good on you, girl.
1: Now, I have someone who's saying hello to
2: you. No, Donna not- Cacciatore is saying hello. I'll hear from the Secret Service again.
1: Yes. But t- <laughs> yeah. tell them about the letter that you got. Do you, you, you recall the letter and then the name at the end of the letter?
2: Oh, it said, we're going to kill you. I mean, was that...
1: No, that no. Was- no, hey. no, The letter, the, the letter went on and on and on. I've never liked you. You were never a great singer. You were, and it went on and on and on. And then at the bottom, it said,
2: Barbara Cook. Barbara Cook. Barbara Cook. I said, Oh my God. I said, Well, she's not with us any longer, so she beat you to it. (laughs) Okay, we're out of show business, kids.
1: So Madonna Cacciatore is here, and she said to say hello to you. Uh, Robin McWilliams is here. Uh, they're both watching.
3: Carol ah. went to their wedding. We went to the
2: wedding. So, yeah. who's talking now? Oh, there you are. Yes, Gallagher. Yeah, we went to the oh, wedding. Galligan, now what? Galligan, David. What? Talk to me. Yes. Yeah, you... I said, we
3: went, you and Tom and myself went to the wedding with Donna and Robin.
2: Oh, we certainly did. Fabulous! I was
3: was the only Carol wore white, and I was the only person that wore black.
2: (laughs) Which is our favorite color, you know that. (laughs) What do you have on right now? Black. What do I have on? Black. (laughs) And there you are, Leroy. I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) Mister Song and Dance Man of Broadway. He is song dance. Theater Broadway. That's who we, oh my God, I love you all. This is is this and David. What? We're getting ready to go on the road again. Oh, I'm ready. No, oh. we,
1: we I, I wanna bring you back to New York. We've got to bring you back and get you back to fifty four below. Oh, well no, you know what
3: I'd like to do? I'd like I'd like to do a double bill of Carol with guest start Leroy and do mostly Carol. And the last part, Leroy and, and Carol talking about Forty Second Street because they have so many stories that are hilarious. Well, and hilarious. I, just think, I think we could film that. We could film the film full fill with
2: town hall. Okay, I heard town hall. You have a microphone. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, okay. I'm ready. I thought you were. You me.
0: ready? I'm ready. Let's do okay.
2: it. I've got I, my black dress. We're... <laughs> It doesn't go with anything. Oh my God! It's so great to see both of you. I can't. Oh, and Leroy, didn't we have? Didn't we have twelve times?
0: Yes, we did. And it we was did. a historic time too, Carol, because we worked with some really great legendary people of the theater in that show. Oh, yeah. David Merrick, our champion. Uh, Jerry Orbach, uh, Millicent Martin. I mean, Mike Stewart. He was one of the great people of the theater. Oh, yeah. And have the music of Harry Warren and Al Dubin it doesn't
2: get better than that. Really Leroy better. and I also went to Japan with 42nd Street. I mean, you talk about it was difficult. They get down on their knees for everything. <laughs> and, and, well, you'll pardon that expression. Uh, in a hotel, remember, Leroy? They, they made out of paper man's shade. You know, they are. It's like, it is like Japanese paper. I don't know what the hell it is. And we came up to my door and I didn't have my key. I said, just put your fist in place. He did. And the whole door came down. And you know, everything, they're on their knees doing this. And I, I could not get them on, on my knees. Uh, we we had some swell times. Yes, we did, sweetheart. Mr. Hackle, we had yes. some And i
0: listen. I'm going to be there in the middle of November. So you know, we're going. I'm just going to let you know exactly, and we're going to get together and catch up.
2: My God, how fabulous! Now, are you really going to do that? He's been promising me he's going to come. I've been men- through menopause three times waiting for you. Well, <laughs> What
0: happened, I'm going to go to Palm Springs to do the uh, one of those specials for uh, uh, Michael Childers. And then I'm going
2: to go down to my family and I'm going to come into L.A. to see you. I'm okay. Gonna- well, this is, you're looking at our house right behind you. I That's- can't believe it. It's absolutely gorgeous.
0: You're I great. worked my way
2: up. I worked you my want? way up. I worked my way up.
0: <laughs> you got it.
2: I said, now in my lighter years, I'm in the place I want to be.
0: And I can't and wait to see Mark, your
2: nephew. God knows you will see him. Yes. My dear.
0: He, he is, is
1: <laughs> uh, I absolutely love him. Thank him for everything, making this happen tonight.
2: Uh, it, this is all thanks to Mark making this happen. Mark and John Moore, my designer my, for the show, who I can never get rid of. <laughs> I made him a star and it's not working. Now, yeah, David, you and I both did that. We made him a star. He's fabulous. And then there's my darling husband who I've been married to 58 years. And I didn't marry until I was 40. So do the math. It would shock you. Shock you. And I, I, this rapist have who Tom Cooper plays. he's the greatest actor I know and I thought that before I knew him. So anyway, anyway I would say it I'm because I love him at that. Well they, this this is Tom. Uh, he came in laughing one day to me. He said the funniest thing happened to me. And I said, what is it? He said, well I was waiting to make a right turn with the car and he's is that noise just everywhere? Yeah,
1: uh, no, that's uh, I, I think it's David's phone.
2: Oh, okay. really? Yes, it's it's stopped. Stopped. yes. No, it stopped.
3: Yes, no, it started again.
2: That's how I, no. I just, started.
0: are you, are you stroking your pearls? I am, In
1: honor
2: <laughs> of you. anyway. Thank you, Lena Lamont. <laughs> I, I wonder if... to. He was sitting in the car. He said, You're not going to believe what happened. I said, Trust me. He said, I was sitting in the car waiting to make a right turn. And he said, One passed in front of me and went past me. And she said, You son of a bitch. You're over the line. Men can't drive. I don't know what the hell you're doing on the road. You better go back to Rocky's. You're an idiot. And passed him and went to the corner. Tom got furious. And he's a very tall man. He turned around, followed her, pulled up next to her and pulled down his window. She had her window down. And he said, why are you so mean? Why are everybody so mean now? What's wrong with you? But nobody smiles. Nobody's fine. She looked at him a long time and she said, you're an old actor who can't get a job. And he was laughing. I said, what the hell are you laughing for? He said, well, don't you get it? You recognized me. <laughs> now that is that is Tom. Truth. We oh to my Italy. God! We went to Italy, and he thought he could join in if he put O on the end of every word. And he was, saw a man with a great jacket on, and he went up to him, and he also knew that they would understand if he spoke very loud. And he said, where you get Jacketto on the man said, I bought it in San Francisco. That's the whole Well,
0: David and Leroy, I'm going to take you off so that okay. I can wrap up. The- well, before you go, I just do one quickie thing. Everyone has to know Carol was actually a Greek drama major in college. And she and Tom were so fabulous in The Lion and Winter. There's a whole other side to Carol, that you've never seen. Thank yes. you. You can
1: hang oh, out in the wings, and I'll yes. bring you back on at the end of the show, okay? Okay. So uh, don't go anywhere. So uh, I'm just going to remove you for a few minutes so that I can uh, focus on you, Carol, uh, for a few minutes. I've got some just questions that I want to ask you as we wrap up. Um, when, you know, looking back over your career and with everything that you've done, uh, and of course, Dolly and the Lucy show and 42nd street, uh, are there certain things that perhaps that are not on the radar that a lot of people think of that you would really like to go back and revisit certain days that were, that stand out in
2: your life and career? Well, of course, the obvious one, and it and it is, because it is the one that is my wedding day. Now, and-
1: uh, what, since you bring that up, do you want to tell everyone about your wedding day? Because you had a very special uh, wedding, not only because you had a v- uh, not only marrying t- Tom, uh, but tell everyone about your wedding party.
2: Oh, the wedding party no uh, i'll talk about i decided you're right richard i decided that for my wedding i should try to look virginal which in the theater we call a stretch and uh, so i wore no makeup and lucy lucille ball was my matron of honor a big mistake folks i come down the aisle all fixed up she comes down the aisle and would say Oh, I forgot to look at Carol. Lucille Ball was the matron of honor. So that was a total loss. But I remember I came up the stairs and I had on no makeup. And my idea was I looked like Grace Kelly. And she looked at me and she said, You look like the ghost of Christmas past. Put on some lipstick. So I did. And uh, I remember the minister when I said I had to say that Lucille Ball was going to be the frigging matron of honor because I thought he'll be in the middle of the sermon and go, dearly beloved, we're Lucille Ball. Would you sign my Bible for the wife and the kids? <laughs> so you had, you had to say it. So um, the party,
1: and, and your the best dad. man was also Robert Osborne.
2: Oh my! Oh gosh! Yeah. Bob Osborne. Well, I'm telling you, folks, we had no money at all. I mean, no money. So all my friends gathered around, and most of them were designers. They stripped that church bare. They put up so much netting and cupids. It looked like an old Ziegfeld Follies number. I had 10 groomsmen, and Lucy and I were the only two women. Now, isn't that Ziegfeld Follies? And Bob Osborne, Robert Osborne of Turner Classic Movies, uh, the late Bob Osborne, was our best man, a brilliant man, lovely man, and the sweetest man in the world. And we will miss him. We will be. And a while ago, we were talking about the Greek drama. I want to tell you why I got out of Greek drama. My first role in for my master's degree in Greek drama was Medea. Her opening line, she's just killed two children. Her children to get even with her husband, which was not a bad idea. Now that I, ne- never mind. But she, the first words on your mouth when you come out, you grab your breast and you scream, "Death!" I thought, "I've got to go into tits and glitter show. This is not." <laughs> so that was the, that, that was the end of that.
1: No, you know, and thank God you made you. But you made the right choice. You made the right choice.
2: I You've mean, never you never know, see me do, Medea, my darling. It might shock you. Lana Turner and I thought the same thing after we saw Judith Anderson in Medea. She was heard as as she came out of the show. She just seen the great Judith Anderson in Medea, and she said, "Lana Turner, folks, said, well, I thought Miss Anderson was." Fabulous. But I would have paid the part differently. You can bet your sweet ass she would have. Okay.
1: Now you've had the pleasure of doing club work. You've done theater. You've done television. And you've excelled in all of those mediums. Is there one particular medium that you enjoy doing the most?
2: Stage. That's my first love. Mm -hmm. And I, I think... Movies and television are fabulous. In fact, there is one thing uh, about the movies that I, making movies that I I do adore, that you cannot do on stage, and that is moments that are quiet and soft, with the power of the close up. It can, you can have something that is. Very special. Now, on stage, you can make that happen. But you have to be sure you're still doing the technical things. Like the audience in the balcony wants to hear you. That's where your good people really are. And you have to give the illusion of being very quiet and whispering. In the movies you get to really whisper.
1: Now Carol, you were very fortunate that Lucille Ball brought you into this repertory company that she was creating and uh, and Robert Osborne as well. Uh that's how okay. you both met, met and uh do you feel that actors, you know, going into television film today are missing out not having the, those kind of opportunities that you were given early on in your career?
2: Oh sure. Summer stock, when I was growing up, I sound like my grandmother now. When I was growing up, <laughs> um, but you don't have, you don't have, there's nowhere to be bad anymore. Uh, somebody is going to see you, you know, in Pocatello, Idaho. Oh, no offense to Lance, we'll, <laughs> we'll tell him I said. That. His partner's is Eve and Lives in Pocatello, Idaho. Okay. <laughs> in Pocatello, Idaho. Uh-huh. Don't you love me veering off? What was the question?
1: Uh, no, about uh, the fact that you had this repertory company, and if actors are missing out today, yes, on- that's it. yes, You know
2: what was wonderful about that, Richard? We had summer stock. You went. You were playing one one show uh, at night and rehearsing all afternoon for another show and you, you churn them out, and it was fabulous. There's nowhere to do that, nowhere to be bad, because somebody will catch your at. because the power of the little telephone, which how many Broadway shows, I probably shouldn't talk about, Broadway shows have you seen with people with the little telephone? You see, I mean, there's nowhere to be bad. That should be the title of my book, nowhere to be bad.
1: That's a good title. I think I, I love that title. I think you should go with it. I, I you know there's a great book. Marlo Thomas has this great book called uh, The Right Words at the Right Time. And these are essays by a lot of people who have written about the right words in their lives at the right time. And I want to ask you, whether it be in your career or in your personal life, about the right words at the right time, that someone somewhere said to you that you needed to hear at any particular moment in your life?
2: Well, I think as kids, we all have our cross to bear. You're either too fat, too thin, too this, too that. And because uh, theater people are kind of looked on as, they love us, but they think we're peculiar. And uh, I think, uh, well, I don't want to go into the, if you're, every kid is called has there something that they wish people wouldn't talk about. I think, uh, well, uh, well, I will tell this. My grandmother, who was a woman, looking back now, she had a lot of problems that I should have been kinder, but I was a kid. What I know. And she always, in. I had two sisters that were very beautiful, uh, Lorely and Regina, and they were, they are gorgeous. And she would introduce us. And she always said, this, my mother's name was Maudine. And uh, she'd say, now this is Maudine's black haired beauty. And now it would come Lorely, boom, diddy, boom, diddy. And then she'd say, and this is uh, Maudine's uh, black-eyed beauty. And she had big brown eyes, and Regina would come out, boom, diddy, boo." And then she introduced me one day, and she said, and this is Mildred Francis. This is Maudine's fleshy daughter, meaning that I was fat. Fleshy daughter. And my mother took me aside, and I remember that she said, let them say what they will. You are unique. And I, and I thought that was I thought that was terrific. I don't know why. Okay. Thank you. That was stupid of me to do
1: this. No, no, no. You've got me crying now. So no, uh
2: but it it was, she said, now, Richard, I'm all right. Um She, I didn't even want unique men. I'm not sure she did, but it was that she wanted me to feel special. And she didn't want to say, well, they're pretty or, or whatever. And I loved my sisters. I was never jealous of them. I should have run them through with a knife. But, <laughs> but I got even. Well but anyway, you know what? It was it was okay. And that's that's she used that word. And there were and there were a lot of lot of times like that. Certainly uh Thomas saved me a lot and uh my family. It's well, all you know. We met wonderfully like Ann Miller. We didn't get to talk about Ann Miller. Oh, darling, do I have stories about her?
1: Well, you got to come back. We got to come back and do, you know, for an evening. But I want to ask you one last question. And that uh, question is, well, there is a great story that you, I, I do want you to tell this story. You and Ann Miller and Ethel Merman in the back seat of a taxi, uh, in Greenwich Village, when I do you know yeah. which story I'm referring to?
2: Yes, I do. <laughs> Anne Miller, Tom, myself, and another friend went to uh, Brooklyn or somewhere to see Ethel Merman in a uh, uh, in a concert. And so, as we're coming back, we're in the car. It wasn't a taxi, Richard. It was a hired car. Okay, okay. <laughs> Well, don't you know, I wanted to be the queen of England. I wanted to be a queen. A lot of my friends have made it. I know. (laughs) So anyway, we're coming back and we're driving through Greenwich Village and I saw a wooden house (laughs) and I thought, my God. And I said aloud, there's a wooden house. I said, that thing must be revolutionary. It's got to be 200 years old. I've never seen anything like that. And 200 years old. And Annie turned around like this and looked at me and she said, does wood last that long? Everybody went. I said, well, I have a piece of the crucifix if you'd be interested in that. I'm telling you, she came out. We were Her door with Mickey Rooney was, what was the name of that show?
1: Sugar Babies. Sugar Sugar Babies. Babies. Yes.
2: You've got to forgive me. I'm 98 years old. You're doing great. (laughs) But we were talking about, it was Passover. So we'd been talking about Passover in my theater. And she was at her theater. As we came out the stage door, I said, hi, Annie. There's Ann Miller. Hi, Annie, how are you? She said, oh, fine. Uh, Carol, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm doing, uh, I'm getting ready for Passover. I said, are you doing anything for Passover? She said, oh, kiddo, I don't play those word games. <laughs> talking about password. I mean, oh, my
0: God, she was something else.
2: Ethel uh, the oh, Ethel Merman was really a good friend. And the last time I saw her, we went to the park and there was a little band playing across the river and we sang, uh, I can't remember what we sang. Life is just a bowl of cherries. And she. it was difficult for her at that time. And with her speech, we sat there and they played. They had no idea Ethel Merman was there. And we was she was in her wheelchair, and we sang together. Life is just a bowl of cherry. She introduced that song in 1931. Funny story about Ethel, she was doing Annie Get Your Gun," and they have a uh, you know shoot off with her bow in the thing. Frank Butler, and a clay pigeon goes across. Frank Butler, it was a contest between the two of them. Frank Butler raised his rifle up, aim, fire, bang, and a pigeon fell. So she got up, she went, aim, fire, bang, pigeon fell. Aim, fire, bang, a pigeon fell. Aim, fire, and a pigeon fell. There was no bang. <laughs> she looked at the pigeon. She looked at the audience she said, what do you know? A heart attack.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that is the way to end a show, everyone. (laughs) No one ends a show or begins a show like Carol Cook.
2: Carol, I love you. I love you, Richard. I love you. Don't go
1: anywhere. Don't I'm go up. anywhere for a moment. I want to say something. When are you and
2: Dan coming to California? I want to
1: come with Leroy, if Leroy will let us. Uh, I want to come out there to see a show, and we'll come see him with you. Uh,
2: oh, we a, promise me you will. I'm 98. Move it. Move it. Danny,
1: Danny wants to go out to California to see you and Tom as well. Okay. I want to say, Monday. I okay. don't know how you do this. Every year, on my birthday, it arrives from Carol and Tom, I love you both so much, but I want to say my closing remarks and then I'm going to give you your closing remarks, but don't go anywhere for a moment. I want to thank everybody for being here tonight. I love this woman so much. Uh, When we get on the phone, we love, love, love. Danny, come here for a minute because Danny wants to see you. He loves you as much as I do. So, uh, I'll bring Danny on just to say yeah, hi. Uh, are you within earshot, Danny? Um, so uh, he's probably out in the backyard, uh, watering the plants. Come in and say hi, uh, so that uh, you can see he had, hi to Carol. Uh, here's oh, Danny. Uh, Danny uh,
2: here. There you are. I was watching <laughs> the my other room. it was fun, great show, Danny. Yeah. You'll yeah. promise me you'll come together in November. We'll Why come. Come
1: in the fall. That'd be great. We'll come <laughs> with Leroy if you'll have it. Let us come. We'll okay. do it. We'll we'll come. We'll come to see Leroy in Palm Springs, and we'll all uh, do a big dinner. Uh, and, and Danny,
2: Danny, I have a tree over here for you. <laughs> oh, look at the, a glamour dog.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's oh him. Oh my
2: God! It's Jean Harlow. Everybody, everybody in the audience is going, who the hell is Gene Harlow?
1: Right. <laughs> it was a fun show. That's for sure. Thank you. Thank you. But we were having dinner one night with Carol and Tom in West Hollywood. And sitting at the next table was Vanessa Williams surrounded by these gorgeous guys. And Carol said, what a pity. She needs to surround herself with beautiful guys to look pretty herself. And Carol sent a glass of wine over to her. Do you remember
2: a lot of smart. Yes,
1: yes. So anyway, I I wanted to say thank you all for being here tonight. Um, I always end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the ninth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message but a phone call and let that person know how much they mean to you and that you love them. I also want to dedicate this show tonight to Rose Puzo. Rose, I love you. I love all that you do for me and I'm dedicating this show to you tonight. You know why. And I send positive thoughts to you. Uh, Carol, I'm going to leave the screen and I'm going to give you the final word. Don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as you say goodbye, the final credits will roll But don't leave because Leroy and David are still in the wings and we'll uh, visit a little bit more after the show is over. So, uh, Carol, I'm going to turn it over to you and you can say whatever you want to say to everyone who's watching. It's all yours. I love you.
2: I love you, Richard. First, I want to say just a few words about Richard. Not only is he a great showman, but he's such a kind person. I love his show because he does celebrate all people. And I mean that. He's, he's a good guy. And Richard, you're good at what you do. You're better than that. It's that what I said. My parents said, be the best at whatever you choose to be. So thank God you've done that. And I thank you. And all of us who have participated, thank you. You're very special. And I thank you for that. And I guess I should go off with a laugh, but we've laughed enough. So I'll go off with just a pithy thought, as we say. It's what I do believe. I believe that everybody in this world is different. There is only one Richard Skipper, there's only one, you know, Ann Jackson. There's only one. You're like nobody else. There's not another you in the world. And all you have to do is the best you can be. There's always somebody richer, poorer, thinner, fatter, you know, funnier, uh, not funny, tragic, tragic. It's not a competition. Be the best you can be, or as my mother said, you're unique. You're the only person in the world like you. So take care of you. Just be the best you can be. And you know what? That's enough. Au revoir.